Well, I mean, we already had a challenge. Zach preached First Peter. We could, we could be done. But we got to finish strong with Daniel. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about tonight's message. So go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 11. We're going to pick up where we left off at the end of chapter 11 and go through chapter 12. Um, you know, last week, so we're, we're finishing up Daniel's fourth vision. Um, we, you know, the book, the book begins, if you're just joining us, you're, you're coming at the very end of a series, and you're coming at the end of a section of scripture that uh, some refer to as apocalyptic. It's very prophetic. Um, a lot of it has already been fulfilled, but there's much still yet to be fulfilled. Um, so if you feel a little bit behind... Uh, you are. So, um, but, so the second half of Daniel is made up of these four main visions, and from chapter 10 through 12 is the last vision. And so that's what we're wrapping up tonight. And last week was such a fascinating passage of Scripture. Chapter 11 is fascinating because it's so precise in its prophecy, right? And we looked at that where uh, critics of the Bible will say, it has to have been written after all these events took place because it's just so precise where Brody was able to read the passage and then walk through the history of the life and times of Antiochus, right? Where, where it just matches up so crazy. And where Brody stopped, he stopped at verse 35, and that's where we'll pick up. I'll probably uh, go back up just a little bit, a couple verses, but it's, it's an interesting place because um, there, with any prophecy in the Bible, there's not agreement, right? There's different views. Um, and, but it, even here, you have some people who vehemently believe that all of chapter 11 and into chapter 12 is only about the historical figure Antiochus for Epiphanes, Okay. And then there's others that say, oh, no, 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 right here at this point, at verse 36, he is transitioning from Antiochus to the Antichrist. And to me, it's, it's not clear. It's, it's, uh, I thought of it, and when I was talking to Spencer earlier about it, I used this illustration of, it's like we're, when, where the ocean, where ocean water meets fresh water, and you get that, that brackish water right, where it's not quite the ocean, but it's not fresh water, and, and so you're not exactly sure where it started, but what seems clear to me is we're no longer only talking about Antiochus Epiphany, that we have, that the scope is moved beyond his time and his life and his influence. We've passed him. We're looking at something greater, and we're looking towards the, the time of the end. We're looking towards, really, who Antiochus all along was just a type of. He's a type of Antichrist. And, and if you remember back in chapter 7, if you were with us, where we really begin to look at these future events, from, future events from Daniel's perspective, and some of those still being future events for, for us, that we saw that, yeah, that there's always been a spirit of Babylon. There's always been a spirit of Antichrist. There's always been these world leaders that rise to power primarily to persecute the people of God. And so Antiochus did that. The things that he did were awful. 
the tribulation that he brought down on God's people, on Israel, was, was incredibly evil and wicked, and devastating. And he was a type. Ultimately, he's a type of the one who's going to come at the end, who will persecute God's people, who will bring a time of tribulation. Well, we'll see here in a minute what the writers, what, what Daniel says is that man, there's never been a time like this. There's never been another time like this. What comes at the end is beyond belief. So I, I just want to remind us as we go through this what our, our, our goal is. Our goal will be to not focus on obscure and, and debated things. Okay, when we're dealing with prophecy and we're dealing with apocalyptic literature and we're dealing with these, these things that have not happened yet, our goal is not to get into the obscure and to try to be detailed and get into debates. Rather, our goal is to focus on what is clear and agreed upon, parentheses, as much as possible, as much as possible. Ultimately, what I want us to see walking through these events is, okay, what does this teach us about Jesus and his kingdom? Because I believe that Daniel, and really all of the prophecy in the Bible, Daniel and then especially Revelation, that it was written for our hope, ours, our being like believers, right, for our hope, for our edification, and here it is, our preparation, our hope our edification, and our preparation in order that we will preserve through the persecution and tribulation to come that is only going to intensify as the end nears. One commentator said this, this passage wants to teach us and show us how to live faithfully in the midst of the worst trials, lessons that will be equally valid in the midst of our far less tribulations. So whether or not we are the generation that lives through the great tribulation, whether we're the generation that lives through the time of the Antichrist, what we're gonna study has great value because of its purpose. Its God-ordained purpose is to give us hope, to build us up, to edify us, and to prepare us that we would be prepared individually and then as a church that we would be prepared no matter what happens, no matter what comes at us, no matter what suffering, what persecution, what trials, what temptations, what tribulation, that we would prepare, be prepared to remain faithful to the name of Jesus to the end. That's the goal. So, chapter 11 Let's say we start in verse 33. Somewhere in here, I do believe it transitions from Antiochus to Antichrist. And part of the reason I believe that, again, is because the scope kind of gets bigger than Antiochus and what he actually accomplished in his life. But also the details, it seems, um, don't match how the rest of his life actually played out. So it seems like we're talking about events that we don't have clarity on because no one's lived through those events yet. So, verse 33. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. 
and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. For it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. All right, pause. If you remember Daniel 7, and if you weren't with us, in Daniel chapter 7, we meet this beast in this vision, this language that's meant to drive towards a point and not be literal in and of the, itself, but drive towards the truth. And the beast had a horn, a little horn, and that little horn boasted great things. And that little horn blasphemed against God. And that little horn, we said, seems like this is the Antichrist. And it seems like the same thing is happening here. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these, a god whom his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many, and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind, with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries, and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, Israel, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial or royal tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. That doesn't really need any further explanation, uh, so I'm going to move on. I feel like... Uh, <laughs> preaching and teaching a prophecy for me personally, like I've had this image in my mind of me uh, teaching kids how to swim in a pool in the deep end. Meanwhile, I'm barely keeping my face above the water and just trying to doggy paddle. And then I'm, then I'm acting like, come on in, do what I'm doing. I've got no idea. Like this is, this is deep. Okay, that didn't go over as I thought, but it would, but that, that's all right. <laughs> It's like giving an illustration that doesn't make any sense to people <laughs> to help clarify something that's confusing. Um, that's what it feels like. There we go. It's difficult, and I, and I think, 
specifically what we just read is difficult, I believe because it hasn't happened yet. I, be, I believe the majority of what we just read hasn't happened yet, and so yeah, it's hard to place. What's he talking about? East, west, the, from the north and the south, earlier the north and the south were, were fighting each other, and now they seem to be joined together, and like, what, what's happening here? And I think, yeah, we're, we're looking at things that haven't happened yet. But the main point that we take away is that the Antichrist, again, is persecuting the people of God. But again, what we see is when it seems like he's at this moment of power, where he has all power and he's taking over the globe and he's raining down on God's people, his time comes to an end. And what has been the main point throughout the book of Daniel is that God is sovereign over the affairs of nations, that he raises up kings and he brings kings to nothing, and that he uses kings and kingdoms to his appointed end. And that is exactly what happens with the Antichrist, that his kingdom all is part of God's ultimate plan for his goodness, his glory, his kingdom coming in. Now this, this goes all the way back to chapter 2. Chapter 2 in Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar has his dream, has the vision as he laid in his bed, and he doesn't understand his dream, and so he calls the wise men, and Daniel's the only one by the power of God who's able to interpret the dream, and you have this monument, right? Gold, silver, bronze, and iron, feet of iron and clay mixed, and then the stone that comes in and crushes the feet, and that little stone then grows into a mountain. That whole image has been a control throughout the whole book of Daniel. It's, it's that, yeah, these kingdoms are coming and going, the kingdoms are coming and going, but ultimately what we're moving forward to is that stone because that stone is Jesus and that stone is the kingdom of Christ that starts out small and it started during the Roman Empire, but that stone has been growing with every soul that is added to the kingdom of God through the preaching and teaching and the hear hearing of the gospel. The kingdom grows. It grows and it grows and it becomes a mountain that takes over the world. That's what we're moving towards. And so at the end of days, the Antichrist will play his role. He'll be empowered by Satan, but make no mistake, God, Yahweh, the Ancient of Days, he's in absolute, complete control. Speaking of the Antichrist, Paul says this, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-4. Daniel says that the Antichrist will be successful in this until the time of his wrath is complete. Paul tells us when that will be, not time-wise, but event-wise. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming, 2 Thessalonians 2.8. So again, just like 
in chapter 7 where the horn is boasting great things and Daniel's terrified as he sees this beast and this horn wreaking havoc on God's people. But in a moment, when God's done with him, he is through. He is limited in his power. He's limited in his time to persecute God's people. Let me read to you from Matthew 24, 3 through 16. This is from the Olivet Discourse. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, to Jesus privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? <laughs> That's what we've always wanted to know, right? That's what Daniel asked in previous visions. He's going to ask it again. That's what the disciples asked. Okay, when's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? Who's that going to be? What am I going to be doing? Am I at your right hand? What's my job? Do I get a sword? Do I get, am I on a white horse? I want to be on a white horse. Give me a sword and a horse. Like, that's, that's what we want, right? We want to know the details. But listen how Jesus replies. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up, and this is what I want to focus on. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, to trouble, and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will it's Jesus talking. <laughs> and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The things that Jesus highlights are, are so similar to what, and parallel to what Daniel is highlighting. Saying, yeah, the abomination of desolation is going to come. And no doubt, man, no doubt, when, when Daniel saw these things and he wrote down what he wrote down, no doubt when Antiochus Epiphanes finally came on the scene and he did what he did in Jerusalem in setting up the idol of Zeus and worshiping it, in the temple and on the altar offering a pig, like no doubt the Jews were saying Antichrist, right? Like abomination of desolation right there. And they would have been right. And no doubt when, because Jesus then takes it and says that hasn't fully happened yet. And then no doubt as believers saw when Jerusalem was sacked and the temple was completely destroyed, they said abomination of desolation. I say, yeah, but as evil as those events were, 
they're just a foreshadowing of what's to come at the end when the real, the final Antichrist comes. But what Jesus says is, yeah, there's going to be a time of tribulation, like what Daniel's saying, that's it's never been like this before for God's people. This tribulation is going to come. And in fact, many people will fall away. Many people will fall away. Many people will commit apostasy. Many people who at one time, when it was convenient and easy and beneficial, called themselves a Christian and said they loved Jesus, they'll turn away. They'll walk away from Jesus. Because they'll love their life more than they love Jesus. Because they'll love their comfort and their wealth and their job more than they love eternal souls. He says, but many, many will persevere to the end. So, I couldn't get away from this question in my own mind, is, why? <laughs> why is it this way? Why, why did God set it up this way? Why did God set it up so that the norm is for Christians to experience persecution and suffering? Jesus said, hey, in the world, in the world, you're going to experience tribulation. The world's going to hate you because they hated me. But be at peace. Have my peace. I've overcome the world. Why is it that way? Why is it, why is it that God allows, sovereign God, why does he allow his people to be persecuted? Because what, what we see, listen to 12.7. We'll jump ahead just for a second. And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever. Uh, this is, he's asked by one heavenly being, how long is this going to last? And, he's, and he, so he's making this solemn oath and, oath, and he says, for a time, times, and half a time, and then, and, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So, so there's going to be this time determined by God for how long these things will last. These things being the power of the Antichrist, specifically the persecution that he's pouring out as he devastates the people of God at the end. And he says then, when the shattering of their power is complete, then the end will come. And so I've just had this spinning in my mind like, why does it happen this way? Jesus has already defeated all of our enemies. Our greatest enemy being death, right? Like, he has done everything necessary for our salvation. Why do we have to suffer? And I was listening, I was driving around, and I was listening to a sermon by, uh, I forget his name, but he's the pastor at 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. And he just, in commenting on this verse, he said, and it's the, it's, 
It's his destruction of the people of God. I think he said the church. It's his destruction of the church that is his undoing. And for me, it was like light bulb moment. Because I realized, oh, that's the same. That's the same. Why, why would it be that the Antichrist brings his full weight and authority and power down on the church to break the back of the church, to crush the church, so that in Revelation you get this scene where, where John says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain, killed for the word of God. And they cry out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It went off. Why would... Why would that moment when he finally looks like he's going to win, he's going to snuff out the church, he's going to remove God's witness from the planet, why would that be his undoing? And I thought, because that's how God has done this all along. That's how Jesus undid the power of Satan. That's how Jesus undid the power of death. As the serpent raised its head, to bite his ankle, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. And it was the death blow that the enemy thought he was giving to Jesus that was his ultimate demise. And if you are in Christ, if we are the body of Christ, we are destined to follow Christ, to follow his example, to be made like him. And that means, yeah, I don't suffer. My suffering will never add anything to my righteousness. My suffering will not add an ounce of merit to my atonement. Jesus paid it all, so all to him I owe. But absolutely, if I call myself a Christian, I should expect to follow in the footsteps of my leader, of my Lord. I'm being made like him. And Jesus told us, he told us they hated me, they persecuted me, they'll hate you, they'll persecute you. That's why Paul could say this in Philippians 3, 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share, <laughs> that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's not saying, oh man, I gotta suffer. As a Christian, I gotta suffer in this life so that I'll, I'll actually make the resurrection. It's not what he's saying. He's saying it's, it's a package deal. If, if I'm gonna know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, if I'm gonna share in that resurrection, then absolutely I should expect to share in his sufferings and I should count that as joy and a privilege to suffer with Jesus? To suffer because of Jesus? What an honor. And that's the norm. That's, no, that's normal for Christians. We live in the exception. In this country, we've lived in the exception. We're living in it right now. I'm, I'm hoping that continues and that we leverage our freedom and our privileges as 
body of believers in America that's not persecuted, we'd leverage that for the gospel, but we should expect, remember why, did, why does God even tell us this stuff? So that we would hope in him alone. So that we'd be built up and edified as we look at those who suffered in the path, past and remain faithful. And so that we would be prepared. Prepared to what? To suffer well. Stay faithful to Jesus to the end. We need these reminders. In 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2, Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He's saying, when you suffer for Jesus and you do that faithfully, that disarms sin in your life. And then you just live so that other people can know Jesus. Y'all with me? If you're not, just lie and tell me you are. Amen. All right. That was the introduction. All right, just kidding. But let's read chapter 12. At that time, at the time of the Antichrist, at the time of the end, the time of the great tribulation, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And so we've seen Michael a couple times. We know Jude calls him an archangel. He's this, this great prince, this great warrior. And we get this glimpse behind the scene of the, of the fabric of our reality into the spiritual reality where this warfare that we don't understand takes place. I can't articulate it to you because I don't comprehend it, right? But that Michael fights for the people of God, maybe just specifically for Israel, but maybe it seems like more just for the covenant people of God, which should include us, and that in some way, as we're being persecuted, we can also take hope in knowing that God's angels are serving and ministering to us for the sake of the glory of God. I don't understand that, but it's the truth that God wants us to know about, at least to that level. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, are they not all ministering spirits, talking of angels, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That angels serve us to the end of our faithfulness, our perseverance. We need to know that. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So this is awesome. So he says, yeah, that persecution is going to come, but so is salvation. That's the pattern we, should, we, we can always trust in, that when God allows his people to suffer, we know that at the end of the day, the victory is ours in Christ because 
Christ has already been victorious, that he rose from the dead. And here we have, in the Old Testament, the most clear passage on resurrection. In fact, what people will call double resurrection. It's the resurrection of the faithful and the wicked. We see it very pronounced in the New Testament, but here we have it in the Old. As Daniel looks forward into time to the end, he sees the final resurrection. This is a resurrection of every soul who has ever lived to stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. He says, those who will be delivered are those who have their names written in the book, the book of life, as it's called other places. But listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 24 through 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here that Jesus ushers in the time of the end, but we're talking about the end of the end, is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs or the grave will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And in scripture, evil, wickedness, always, always is only putting on display an evil heart of unbelief. And obedience and righteousness, any goodness that would manifest itself in our lives is only betraying that we have a heart of faith. That at the, at the core of who we are, we believe in Jesus. Amen. And because of that, he produces fruit through our lives. So the good will, in, will inherit eternal life. And that goodness is the fruit of believing in Jesus. So how do we to live through tribulation with this hope, the hope of resurrection? It's our hope. Man, we, you and I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Take a stab at who we might think is the Antichrist right now. Don't say it. There's no way it's that guy. I don't know who I'm insulting there, but. I, <laughs> we don't, I don't know, man. Is this the end of the end? I don't know. I don't know. But our, our hope is that in whatever we face, we'll remain faithful because our names are written in that book. That we'll remain faithful because Jesus is faithful. That we will remain faithful because that he that began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ, the day of his return, the end of the end. We have this hope. We have this hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God 
nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. How are we to live in light of this? How are we to live? Man, be faithful. Be faithful. Be steadfast, immovable. Listen to what Daniel says here the, in this prophecy. Verse three. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. In the midst of that persecution, in the midst of that great tribulation, those who are, are wise will shine like the stars in the heavens, like the sun itself. Doing what? To what end? To draw attention to themselves? Who turn many to righteousness. And as you remain faithful through whatever suffering and persecution and trials, whether they're momentary and, and just specific to you or whether they're cosmic and relate to the whole church, whatever it is, as you remain faithful, your witness will shine the brightest to a lost and dying world. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Chapter two, that stone is growing into a mountain. How? As your testimony, as your witness shines forth and you turn people from death to life, from evil and wickedness to righteousness, from being under the power and under the domain of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of God. Our witness does that. Our testimony does that. If we're wise, if we'll learn these lessons and embrace our hope and embrace the encouragement and prepare ourselves, our witness will shine forth and people will be saved. Daniel is told to shut the book and seal up the words until the time of the end. He says, man, knowledge is going to increase. People are going to run around. Shut up the words and seal the book, both because its contents were not fully comprehensible and also to keep them safe for future generations of God's people to read. The wise will know where to find this wisdom, though those around them will run to and fro seeking knowledge in vain. That's from the ESV study Bible. I thought it was a helpful and clear thought on that passage. Let me read the rest of the book and make a couple of comments. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? 
And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Amen. <laughs> Me either, right? So here again, this isn't the first time we've seen time, times, and half a times. And some people will argue, I mean, some people argue it, it's half a week. Some people it's half of seven years. And, and, and I'll just say, I don't know. Uh, and stay safe there, holding on to the side of the pool, and say this. The encouragement is God has limited the amount of time that evil will continue in this world, especially at the end. God is in control. God is sovereign. It will come to an end. This world is not going to continue on as it is right now. It'll come to an end. Jesus will usher in his kingdom, and of that kingdom, there will be no end. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed unto the time of the end. Uh, could I have some clarity? Shut up and get out of here, kid. Right? Like, he, he can't understand it. He can't understand it. It hasn't happened yet. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. He's encouraging us. What's he saying? Kingdom's going to grow. Souls are going to be rescued. People are going to be saved. Churches will grow. People will raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Life will go on seemingly at a normal pace, and the kingdom of Jesus will grow soul by soul. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335, day, uh, 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So again, he comes back. Persevere. People are going to get saved. The gospel is going to work. Daniel didn't understand that. We have that advantage. We can look back at what he just said and go, oh, how are people making themselves white? By the blood of the lamb, by believing in Jesus, by repenting of their sins and trusting in Jesus. And we know, man, it's going to seem to get worse and worse and worse. But look at what he says to Daniel. I love this. So first, let's remember where we met Daniel. Remember where we met him? He was just a kid back then. Seems like only a few months ago. <laughs> He's a teenager, taken from his homeland, horrible things done to him, taken into exile. He's brought into the court to be trained in the university to serve this foreign king who just decimated his people. And you remember what he what it says to Daniel? That he resolved, that he resolved that he would not defile himself. And then you fast forward to chapter six. He's an old man now, and they make the decree that everyone's got to worship the king. And Daniel just simply goes to his room, opens the window, 
and he prays three times towards Jerusalem. It says, because that's what he always did. He just lived every day faithful. And all these amazing events happen, and he gets these amazing visions. But the day in, day out for Daniel was that he was faithful to Yahweh. He loved the Lord. He resolved that he was, yeah, you can call me what you want to call me. You can put whatever clothes you want to put on me. I'll serve the king. I'll jump through the hoops, whatever you want, but I will not defile myself. I will remain faithful to Yahweh. I will pray to my God. I will worship God and God alone. So that at the end of his life, he was faithful. And the angel says this to him. But, but go your way till the end. And you shall rest, right? You shall die and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. I don't know if there's anything more encouraging for us. We come together and we think about these cosmic realities and angels warring and an antichrist coming to rain down persecution on the church and the end of all things. And I think what the Lord would say to us is, Resolve to be faithful to Jesus. Live wise. Live so that the people around you see the goodness of the gospel. That'll turn them to righteousness. That'll turn them to finding their righteousness alone in Christ. Go your way. Do your normal, do you, do your normal thing. You're a mama. Tomorrow, change that diaper. Teach your child the name of Jesus. When you go into the public domain, work hard. Whether that's handing out prescriptions, working on a computer, whatever it is, and make the name of Jesus known to everybody you can. So go your way. Live your life, and you'll die. And then, then you will stand in your allotted place the right hand of Jesus where with all those who have gone before us from every tribe, every nation, any, every tongue will worship, will worship. Pray with me. Lord God, love you. Thank you for this prophecy. Thank you for this word. God, I thank you that it's difficult, that it would make us wrestle with you and with your truth. And I pray that it would have your intended purpose for it in our life, that we would be encouraged and built up in the faith, that we would be full of hope for the resurrection. I pray that we would be faithful and wise to the end of our days to make you known. God, I pray for those who don't have that confidence. I pray for those who on that day would enter into judgment I pray that if any of them are here, Lord, that in your kindness you lead them to repentance, that you would give them the gift of faith, that they would trust in you, Lord, that you would save them for your glory, and that you would grow your kingdom by more souls. In Christ's name, amen.